great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, new report that criminals steal $37 billion each year from 5 million elderly Americans. I'm going to tell you what to look out for and how as family members and friends you can protect the elderly. And coming up yet later, who has a lot of data on you? Who has a lot of information? Which of the big tech companies are the ones that are doing the most deep dive on your personal information? I have some new numbers for you from USA Today on how much spying is actually going on in your life. I want to talk now about a problem that has been a problem in the car business around the United States for years and years and years, but has intensified more recently because more and more people are trading in vehicles that they still have loans against. In other words, people have, over recent years, have been taking out these ultra-long car loans, and so you're tired of a vehicle before you paid off the loan. You go and trade in that vehicle and take out a loan against another one. Well, sometimes that'll be a disaster because you are upside down in the first vehicle, rolling the upside-down amount into a loan on the new vehicle, digging yourself a deeper hole. But there's a problem that comes up in ways that are just heartbreaking that I need to share with you that goes to a never-never-not-ever rule of mine. Never-never-not-ever trade in a vehicle that still has a loan on it because you could end up owing on the loan on the vehicle you traded in plus the loan on the new vehicle you drove off in. How? Why? What is going on here? Well, when you trade in a vehicle that money is still owed on, you are expecting in good faith that the dealer is going to pay off your loan on the trade-in And you go off on your merry way on the new vehicle. But what happens if they take your trade-in and they don't pay off your loan, they don't make payments due on your loan, your credit is destroyed. Destroyed. There's a dealership in Florida that has cost allegedly military members their security clearances ruin the credit of person after person after person when they traded in cars or trucks or SUVs or whatever and the scenario I just painted happened according to Channel 4 in Jacksonville, Florida that people were trading in these cars and the loans were never being paid off. And it happened not to one person, two people. It was happening routinely. 
So the whole problem here starts with taking out the long loans. As I've shared in the past, the longest loan you should take out on a car, new or used, is 42 months. And you don't want to hear this, and I'm sorry to tell you something you don't want to hear, but if you can't afford the payment on a 42-month loan, you cannot afford the payment on that vehicle. You cannot buy that vehicle. Period. If you care about your long-term finances. Second, regardless of when it is in an ownership cycle, if you still have a loan on a vehicle that you want to trade in, pay off the loan from your savings if you have to, whatever it is, but do not trade in a vehicle that still has a loan on it. Because although the chances are remote, the danger is so complete to your credit. And by the way, You are responsible for that loan even after you trade in the vehicle legally because the lender was not a party to your decision to trade in the vehicle to that dealer. Your legal responsibility goes back to the lender. If the dealer doesn't do the right thing and pay off that loan and it goes delinquent, that is on you, not the dealer and that's why remember this never 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 not ever rule never trade in a vehicle that still has a loan on it because you're asking for serious serious trouble including to the extent of even ending up with a repossession on your credit samantha's with us on the clark howard show hi samantha Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Samantha, you're going to be a pilot. Yeah, I uh, just recently decided I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. (laughs) That wasn't the plan. I went in um, to talk to the guy because we live near a flight school, and I've always kind of wanted to do it, and I just wanted to learn how to fly a Cessna or something, Um, and he totally sold me on helicopters, got me to take a test flight, and I absolutely loved it. So I was just like... I think I want to do this forever. Um, So now I'm looking into getting some private loans. And we're talking big money. Yes. How much total will it cost you? It'll cost $77,000. Yes. That is some serious money. And is your intention to become a, uh, a professional helicopter pilot now that you've been bitten by the bug? Yeah, um, so it would take about a year, maybe a year and a half to become a certified flight instructor. And they they just hire people that, you know, once you get your certification, then you can be an instructor at the school. And then you work towards your 1,000 hours. Once you have 1,000, then you can um, go get the big girl jobs. So that's the plan. All right, so do you have any idea what my first response is going to be? Uh, no. Well, have you ever considered joining the military? Um, Becoming a military pilot. I'm I'm 35. I don't really want to do that at this point. Okay. And the 77, you don't have really any other way to pay other than borrowing the money? Yeah, not really. We've got about um, 20 grand. We'd probably feel comfortable putting 15 toward it. 
All right. So you, you're hooked by the bug. So let's talk about, I'm going to give you every devil's advocate scenario, okay? Okay. Because uh, the easy part is, okay, you just go borrow the money, and then later the hard part is you're going to have to pay back all that money. So that's uh, that's easy and hard. So I'm going to ignore that, and I want to talk instead. You initially had an interest in being a fixed-wing pilot, and that yeah, would be substantially cheaper, Really, right? I would have just been happy flying anything. Last year we were looking into paramotor uh, paramotoring, like with just a, a parachute-type thing. So, And then you only need a 20-hour, uh, what do they yeah. call that kind of pilot? There's a 20-hour course you have to take for that. I forget what yeah, they call that remember. license. Yeah, but that that's a very inexpensive license. Right. Because um, with the fixed wing, you know, doing the training and assessment and all that, a number of states, and not all of them, have state school programs where you can learn to fly a single-engine propeller plane and potentially even multi-engine at state tuition rates at a teensy tiny fraction of the cost of traditional flight schools. Do you know if there's a state school program in your state? I'm not sure, but I don't know if I would qualify because I've already gone to a four-year university. That would not disqualify you from qualifying for an in-state tuition program that would be available to add in-state tuition for residents of the state, even though you already have a degree. It wouldn't cover helicopters, though? Just I don't know. I think it would be unusual for one of these programs to cover helicopters, although it's possible. In other words, I'm trying to throw up every objection that you'll look at other possibilities (laughs) first before you take out a loan like that. And I'm happy to throw up objections like that because if you really do truly have your heart set on becoming a helicopter pilot, ultimately an instructor, and then eventually a job as a professional helicopter pilot, you'll ignore everything I've said. You'll push your way through. You'll borrow the money, and you'll become just that. But I'd like you to look at the other options as well. Okay. And I know I didn't give you the answer you were looking for, but sometimes it's a good idea to look at other possibilities. And the, uh, yeah, the, I'll look into it. The initial license you were talking about, I think, is called the light sport license or sport pilot um, license or something like that. And yeah, you just for a helicopter, it's just private pilot, and that one's only about 14000 but you can't really do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you need, if you're going to earn a living at it, you need the commercial license, either with uh, fixed-wing aircraft or helicopters. And the good news is that the, uh, the reservoir, the pool of pilots, is way short. And so there's long-term career opportunity available as a pilot if that is what you really love and want to do. Bill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bill. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Bill. Happy anniversary next year. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to finally talk to you. I've been listening to you for years. How many year anniversary you have coming up? This is 25. Ooh, that's a big number. (laughs) Yes, and we were looking for 
some uh, advice on places to go. And we knew if we called you that we would get the uh, the best bang for our buck. So we're open, but we're looking at a January anniversary trip somewhere. Right. So you're glory. brilliant to go in January because January is just about the lowest price time of year to take a trip. Fantastic. Um, even I knew for the reason we got married in January. See, you're so smart. Um, now, the only place that tends to be pricey in January are uh, tropical kind of places because people are trying to escape cold weather. But everything else is a deal. And okay. I don't know if you have – do you have interest in sightseeing? Absolutely. We're, we love using our feet for everything. So, Well, if you can trips, stand the cold, trips. go to Europe. Okay. Because – the fares right now, there's way too many seats to Europe and a lot of deep discounters flying to Europe that I expect you'll see fares for January travel to Europe that will range, depending on where in the country someone's flying from, from 200 round trip to about 500 round trip. And are you keeping a very broad bit of advice for all of Europe, or do you have specific places you, you would have taken a 25th yourself? Well, gosh, I, I just love Europe. The, the weather in England is always the weather in England that you're going to have. It would be very unusual that it would be exceedingly cold in January. Uh, a lot of people will go to Italy because it will be tend to be cool, and the further down the boot you go, it will be more and more um, reasonable temperatures. You can go right. to the Amalfi Coast in Italy. You can go to Rome. I mean, there's so much you could see and do. And with all the cheap airfares, just such opportunity to have a phenomenal time. And do we look a month out from like... No, further than a month out. For Europe, I'm really interested in you looking from 45 to 90 days out, although there can be variations in that pattern. And I'd say it would be worth a one-year subscription to scottscheapflights.com, okay. who alerts you to international deals that are fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. And we lean, now that you mentioned Italy, where is your favorite destination in Italy? Well, I mentioned the Amalfi Coast. That is probably my favorite part of Italy. I also love Cinque Terre, which okay. my Italian's terrible, so I hope that's somewhat close, which are the five... <laughs> ancient villages built into the mountain on the mediterranean right and uh, but everywhere i go in italy i love except i'm not a big fan of rome right we've heard you say that before so i i think you let the deal drive where you go though that's what's neat about scott's is he might have a deal pop up to bangkok thailand and you think wow that would be a great place in january for an anniversary trip i'll go there or maybe you'll have a deal to Australia, and you say, okay, I'm going to go there. Wherever the bargain is, go there, and happy anniversary. Today's Clark Rage is something that eats at my heart, because it happened to my late mom, and it happens to, according to Bloomberg, 5 million older Americans every year get ripped off by con artists or by a family member or caregiver. Each year they steal upwards of $37 billion from the elderly. thing that happened with my mom is my mom was giving money to fake charities that were soliciting her, 
And then she got to the point where she was getting several hundred charitable solicitations a week in the mail, almost 100% were from bogus charities. And the problem with family members, gosh, I mean, and families, you know, there are some interesting characters. We don't get to choose our family, but we can choose to be there for our aging parents or aunts or uncles, and we need to know what's going on. We need to be nosy and protect them. Ultimately, we had to take my mom's checkbook away from her, and we had to redirect her mail as a last step. Whatever you have to do to create a cocoon of safety around an aging member of your family, do so to keep them safe from the scamsters and the bad relatives. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Speaking of Facebook, Facebook is one of the places tested by a technology writer at USA Today who went to the bigs to see what information they had on him. And it was fascinating what Jeff Graham found out. And let me say this to you first. Now, because of new rules that have gone into effect in Europe, you'll receive weird legal notices from time to time from various news sites, from various websites you might visit that the notices seem like gibberish, but they're all about complying with Europe's new privacy disclosure rules, things we don't have in the United States, but we are benefiting from the fact that the Europeans are requiring these multinational digital operators to provide information and new tools to protect privacy to citizens of Europe, and we don't have the ability to protect our privacy like the Europeans do, but what's happening as a result of all this is we're having access to disclosure of what they're gathering on us. So first things first, when the reporter contacted Apple, Apple was very slow to comply But when they finally did, what he found out was Apple was keeping a teensy tiny amount of information on him. When he got a report from Google, Google was keeping 25 times the personal data information that Apple was. And when he checked on Facebook, this is shocking, But Facebook was collecting more than three times the amount of data on him that Google was. And so this information being collected is all about how these sites might make money. And there's trade-offs. You know, the reason Siri has been such an abject failure for Apple is because they collect such a thin amount of information on you, the information you ask from Siri 
is wholly inferior to what people get from an Amazon Echo or a Google Home device or from a Google phone, an Android phone, by asking it questions because of how much it does know about you. And that is obviously a trade-off that you have to decide if it's worth. But my belief, again, is what I've said all along since the Facebook scandal broke, is that organizations that make money by collecting information about you should offer an alternative that Facebook allegedly is actively considering, and that is they should offer you the option to pay and in return have privacy, that whatever it is you generate and revenue to them, that you have the option of paying them that same amount of revenue in order to shield behind privacy. And Google, same idea. Now, for me, I am an individual who's not a privacy freak. And so I would rather have all the services I get for free than pay for them. But that has to be a personal decision. And what's missing is the ability for it to be a personal choice. And I know that the members of the Congress in those Facebook hearings were kind of pitiful, that they didn't understand how any of these things work. And and the questions even prepared for them by staff, they seemed like they were asking questions that somebody else like a kid who asks a question in a public forum, and it's obviously that the kid didn't write the question, that some adult wrote it for them. In the situation with the congressional hearings, the congressmen and senators, for the most part, were completely out of their league, didn't know what in the world they were asking or talking about. And so it's going to be hard for them to make good decisions about protecting privacy and to prevent more Russian hacking of our elections, but the alternative is this is one the Europeans got completely right. And giving people control of their information plus the European right that is across the European Union, the right to be forgotten, where uh, sites on the web are required to wipe clean any information they have about you is the kind of thing that we, if we crave privacy, should be able to do in the United States of America as well. Phil is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Phil. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Phil. So you're a first-time homebuyer. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited as we start the process. Well, how may I be of service to you? Uh, we went and met with a local credit union and talked over some different options for loan products they have. And one that they mentioned um, that they said has been popular with first-time homebuyers recently is a 5-5 adjustable rate mortgage. And in my searching online, I cannot find too many reviews or opinions on that type of product, so I wanted to see if you had any thoughts. Okay, so the idea of a 5-5 is it's a form of what's known as an ARM, adjustable rate mortgage is the rate is set for five years, and then at the end of five years, the rate resets for the next five years based on an index. And as Mm -hmm. a general rule, 
if you do a 5-5 arm, you'll get one percentage point lower interest for that first five years than you would on a 30-year fixed rate loan. And yeah, is that about the saw. spread that they quoted you? Yep. So the advantage of a 5-5 arm is that if you know, and who can say with certainty on something, but if you know the odds are overwhelming that you're going to boot that property out of your life in five years, that it's going to be done, then doing a 5-5 arm is okay. In fact, it it's better because you're paying one full percentage point lower typically. But if you're not really sure, we're in a rising interest rate environment right now, and five years from now, there's the chance that your reset could be a significantly higher rate. And mm-hmm. so, so you have to really weigh where you think your life is going to be in a crystal ball that if it's really clear, you can make the call. If it's cloudy, you just have to make your best guess. What do you think? Okay. How long do you think, think you are going to stay? Um, we're, we're on the fence. Um, we've looked at properties that would be good starter homes we'd want to be out of in a few years, and we've also seen properties where we could see ourselves long-term. So it might end up coming down to what the actual property we find is. Okay, so uh, you also have another scenario that happens often is that you buy a property that you decide you may not want to live it in anymore, but you want to keep it as a rental, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be really sorry that you did the 5-5. Five five. Yeah. So it's really a matter of do you want to take your medicine now or <laughs> potentially suffer later? Okay, I appreciate that. All right. Good luck with the home search. Thank you. Thanks. And Jamie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jamie. How's it going? Hi, Clark. How are you? I just want to tell you first that my husband and I value your opinion, and we have done everything from taking your advice from freezing our credit to 529 plans, and everything you have told us has been spot on. So when I had posed this question to your Internet, I was hoping to get an answer from your website, but I really couldn't find much on it. So my question to you is, at the end of this month, our senior son is graduating high school. Congratulations and to him. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We're excited for him. And he has a partial baseball scholarship. No way. And That's fantastic. A, what position does right? he play? He's a pitcher, and uh, he will be going out of state, so your 529 plan came in very handy for us. I mean, And how I'm fast is his fastball? Uh, well, it's in the low 90s. No way. Yes, it is. And That's really great. A, yeah, he's going to a big ACC school to play baseball. Yeah, my fastball is about 35 miles an hour. I think his is faster. <laughs> Well, that's probably a swing and miss, believe it or not. Those kids can't even hit those, uh, well, not that your ball is slow, but, you know. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> I've thrown out that's... several first pitches at baseball stadiums, and I've been booed twice throwing out a first well, pitch. So that means that, I threw that, out very lame up. first pitches. Clark, that's a changeup. You've got one heck of a changeup. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, but he's our he's our oldest, and um, as a young adult, we wanted him to uh, to start establishing some credit history. And he currently is an authorized user user on my husband's credit card, but because he has focused on his athletics during his high school summers and during the year, he has no income or an employment history. He's never worked because uh, I guess his job was baseball, and as you can see, he got a partial scholarship, and he's right. a pretty good baseball player. But without a steady income, he wasn't approved when he applied for his own credit card. And he shouldn't yet. So let's talk this through. Having him as an authorized user, if the the provider you added him as an authorized user reports the credit bureaus, is producing a credit history for him, and if you have good ratios on that card and pay on time all the time, he's benefiting from that. And when he either starts working part-time in the summers and has demonstrable income, or when he turns 21 as a college student, he will be able to qualify for a college student card with no income. Okay, so, but he has, he's 18 now, so he has to wait till he's 21 before he can uh, apply for that. Yeah, and the um, reason, let me tell you, it, it was a move by the U.S. Congress that I support. What was happening was a lot of 18-year-olds were being handed credit cards like candy when they'd first get to a college campus, and they would get into trouble with the cards. And college students represented the most profitable credit card customers in the country because if they got in trouble, their parents would bail them out most of the time. And so the charge-off rates were very low, but the interest earned for the banks was gigantic. So Congress passed something called the CARD Act, and one of the provisions of it was that you let college students get some maturity first, and then at 21, they're able to apply for these college student cards that allow them to qualify free of any income. Okay, so that CARD Act you're talking about, is that, that's a national... Obviously, yeah, federal uh, law. A federal law. Okay, I hadn't heard of that because several of my friends told me, oh, don't worry, uh, you know, uh, one of the card companies, they had said, well, well he'll, get a, he'll get an application as soon as he hits, you know, college. And I've so that, so I have heard friends. that, and if that's happening, that violates the CARD Act. But, um, gosh, if you know your son to be mature enough and he gets one of those college pre-approved in the mail for a college credit card, then since he already has accredited entity from what you've done with the authorized user, it's fine for him to go ahead and get that as long as you know he has the maturity necessary. Well, he, he also has our backing because we're, we want him to build credit, obviously. And, yeah, which uh, he will have no trouble... If by the time he's a junior, he'll be 21. And so if if he has to wait that long to do it, it's still fine. The important thing is for any full-time college student to remember to apply for a college student credit card when they do turn 21, just because it's so hard to establish credit once they're out of college without any credit history, but so easy with these college student cards available from American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, credit unions, they all have these college student cards, and at the right time is when you want to make sure you grab them 
And good luck to him on the baseball diamond. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you pose a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel will ask your question for you. What you got, Joel? Clark Roy said, I heard you talk about the military deal that T-Mobile is offering, and I wanted to know if T-Mobile throttles data usage. They do, but not till you've used 50 gigs of data in a month per line. 50 gigs is gigantic. And so you can feel comfortable that you're going to get through a month. I am on my phone all the time, and I use about six gigs a month. Uh, Kim watches enormous amounts of video and uses about, uh, you don't even know because you've never been throttled. Exactly. It's unlimited. Well, it's unlimited till the throttle. No how throttle. About, how about you, Joel? I think I use about three gigs a month, maybe. Okay. So not too much. I mean, 50 is so much that it would be really hard to blow through that. All right. Mike wrote and he says, Clark, I love your podcast. I'm looking for a place to invest cash that will be needed again in five years. Would you suggest investing in Lending Club as an option to safely earn more interest than a money market account could provide? So uh, safely invest. It is, it's not safe investing, but it's low risk investing. And I've been for the last year and a half as an experiment for you as a listener. I've put $5,000 in Lending Club, $5,000 in Prosper. And with both of them, I'm earning a really decent rate of return in a broad portfolio from ultra high credit scores to moderate credit scores. I'm not doing low, uh, low credit score borrowers. And so I'm earning, if I can believe their rates of return, somewhere around 6.5% more or less in that. And there is always you know, risk of default. I've had loans that have defaulted. If you are planning to put the money aside for just five years, you need to invest it all and pretty quickly tell them you want them to, as loans pay off, send you the money instead of reinvesting because otherwise they immediately reinvest your money and it keeps getting tied up for more and more time. If you're not familiar with the Prosper and Lending Club, they are where individuals lend money to other individuals, but you share the risk of each loan. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice.